It is free agency eve in the NHL. Welcome to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd here with you as well as the voice of your Vancouver Canucks, Brendan Batchelor. We are live again, day two at Canucks Prospect Development Camp here at UBC. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Batch, great to have you back. Great to be back out here at UBC. The forwards are on the ice. They just took the ice about 10 minutes ago. They get to go first today after it was the defenseman first yesterday. Full compliment out there for the Canucks. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but just by my quick count, I counted 11 coaches and player development staff on the ice for the Canucks. So, look, this is a great opportunity for uh, for all of the players here to maybe get a little bit of one-on-one time at some point because there is no shortage of uh, player personnel staff on the ice for the Canucks. Yeah, and that's something the Canucks are happy about. Uh, Ryan Johnson in his uh, post-day media scrum yesterday after all the ice sessions had finished joked that if he could have a coach for every player on the ice <laughs> he would uh you know i i think they're really happy with the way they've built out their player development staff uh the the kinds of people they have in that staff of course daniel and henrik sedin mm-hmm. michael samuelson mike commissaric chris higgins uh the list goes on uh so it's it's good to see that these young prospects come in, they get a taste of what the Canucks want them to do, but they have tons of support and tons of, of coaching staff that they can bounce things off of or have chats with on the ice. And uh, even uh, Jonathan Lekermacki yesterday, when uh, when speaking about it, said it was pretty cool to just no be kidding. able to have a chat with one of the Sedins out on the ice. And uh, for European prospects coming in, someone that speaks their language too, right? These are all things that can help make these prospects more comfortable. So it's pretty cool to see. Uh, We teased it yesterday that we were hoping to be joined by Canucks assistant general manager Derek Clancy. Timing didn't work out yesterday. Understandable. Very, very busy time, of course, with free agency fast approaching, opening tomorrow around the NHL. But we do expect uh, with a lot of confidence this time that Derek Clancy (laughs) is going to join us, hopefully here in the first hour of the show after the forwards go through some of their drills uh, batch so look forward to that one and yes uh, Derek Lancy we expect at some point in the first hour of the show we'll sit down with us here at UBC but as I mentioned and by the way 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line get your thoughts in uh, because as I mentioned it is busy busy time for the Canucks front office busy time for front offices around the NHL batch we are less than 24 hours now away from the official opening of NHL free agency and we know some conversations are happening. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, everyone can pretty much already know the terms of the Jack Campbell deal in Edmonton, <laughs> apparently. But the real frenzy will start at 9 a.m. our time tomorrow. And, you know, the Canucks are in a really interesting position here because I think it's safe to say going into the draft, right, you got the two big events, the two big days of the offseason, the draft and day one of free agency. Going into the draft – I think expectations and hopes were very, very high, that the Canucks would be busy, that they could make a major splash, they could do something that would really you know, reshape the future of the franchise. But I think it's safe to say now, expectations going into day one of free agency, much lower. They're, they're pretty tempered given the lack of action we've seen around the Canucks thus far. Yeah, they, they don't have the cap space to make any big splashes, really. And I know they can go a little over the cap uh, in the summer, but unless... 
we see them move some of the money that they've been trying to move here for months in the next 24 hours. Um, you know, it's going to be tweaking in free agency and tweaking towards the bottom of the lineup. Uh, you know, we, we saw yesterday that they chose not to qualify both mm-hmm. Yuho Lamico and Matthew Highmore. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to sign those players, but, um, you know, all signs would point to a change of direction on the fourth line or further down the lineup. And in terms of the degree of change that's possible for this management group, you know, it's not going to be a whole lot more than that. Maybe they can find a right shot defenseman that, you know, can come in and provide some depth there, but we're not talking about a top four defenseman. We're not talking about a top six forward uh, unless something moves in a big way in terms of some cap money going out today. Mm-hmm. Really, it's going to be more about changing the complexion of the bottom of their lineup. It might mean changing the complexion of the penalty kill if you find guys that can play down your lineup uh, that are going to end up being penalty killers. But, you know, we uh, last week when we hosted together, we were talking about, you know, oh, could Andrew Kopp be yeah. a fit with the Canucks? Or what about Val Nachushkin? You see the number Val Nachushkin got yesterday? And the term beyond anything. Man. No kidding. So, you know, as we stand right now, if nothing changes, the Canucks will not be able to make any moves like that in free agency tomorrow. I wouldn't expect. We'll run through uh, what could be on the shopping list. What are some realistic targets? What should just their overall goal be? And I want to throw this out to the listeners as well. You can hit us up. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We did this before the draft uh, last week, but we'll do it again here for free agency what do you want to happen from the Canucks and free agency? What do you want them to do? And what will you? What do you think will happen? You hit us up with your thoughts, 650-650. We'll read them throughout the course of the show. And I also would encourage everyone to go uh, check out the latest piece from our, our colleague, our teammate, the great Ian McIntyre up at sportsnet.ca, who had some really, really interesting thoughts on where the Canucks stand and some pretty candid thoughts on where they stand as well. And this one... You know, you're talking about the lack of cap space that the Canucks have and how it might impact what they're able to do unless something comes along in the next 24 hours or so, Batch. And here's what Rutherford had to say. He said, you can clear cap space if you're giving up assets, but we're trying to build assets. So, you know, we got a little bit caught up here. At this point, we've just decided to let it run its course until a trade potentially could come along to do that. But it's not going to come along prior to the first day of free agency. And that's really the key, right? The, the Canucks, Jim Rutherford kind of acknowledging, yeah, it didn't happen. And at this stage, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that all of a sudden a trade for Tyler Myers comes along when other teams are trying to make sure they're putting themselves in the most advantageous position ahead of free agency as well. And so I think that that really does a good job of setting the table for what to expect in free agency because the salary cap space is very limited as you said yeah you can go over the salary cap in you know in the offseason but if you do that you put yourself in a position where other teams know that you need to desperately shed cap and then well then you probably do have to attach an asset to potentially get off one of your deals and you put yourself in a really difficult bind in the summer without a lot of upside to show for it you know at this point given the cap situation I'd be kind of surprised if we see tomorrow the Canucks sign anyone for more than about a million AAV. Really. It, it would be a bit of a surprise. Not a total shock. Not a total stunner. It could it could clearly happen. But that's kind of what I'm expecting. And, you know, as you mentioned, the bottom six, the clear area of priority, the clear area of need on the roster right now. You know, I know the name Curtis Lazar has been out there. 
that could easily be the highest profile signing tomorrow. Wouldn't shock me at all if that was the highest profile signing that the Canucks make tomorrow. And you know what? Considering the situation that they find themselves in, I don't really have a problem with that. It's frustrating that you couldn't create space prior to free agency. Maybe it was harder than they expected. Maybe they were a little too optimistic uh, about their ability to create cap space. But now that you're here, plan B has to be patience, right? It has to be, all right, we didn't get that done. That's too bad. But let's not overreact. Let's not do something rash. Let's not make a move just for the sake of moving it. We're here. How do we go forward? And I think the answer has to be be patient. Don't make any big mistakes. Don't add any long-term or even short-term liabilities to your cap fee. Don't make any mistakes in free agency. Yeah, and, you know, we discussed this a bit yesterday that the timing of a potential Miller trade, if it's going to happen, or, or a Myers trade or any sort of trade that will free up money is not going to be ideal now because it's not going to come in all likelihood before free agency. So you're not getting that cap space to chase solutions to your problem in free agency. But that doesn't mean that you don't still want to clear cap space. It doesn't mean that you don't want to have that flexibility because it gives you options in the trade market. It gives you options in season of how you're able to manage your cap. And this is a Canucks team that hasn't had a lot of cap flexibility in the last decade if we're being perfectly honest so um you know while it might prevent them from going big game hunting that might be a good thing because we've seen how big game hunting has hurt the canucks in free agency in the last few years too and you look at some of the targets that uh you know they could go after in the ufa market and the kind of money or term they might have to give out to sign someone incredibly notable and, you know, it, it could be a blessing in disguise that they're not able to, to sign some of those contracts because you never really know how they're going to pan out. Yeah. Now, you know, this is still an organization that I think wants to make change to its roster and will do so if afforded the opportunity. But that's the key to me, as you said, is not making change just for the sake of making change or just because the fan base wants to see a big move. Uh, you know, we talked about it yesterday as well. Sometimes standing pat is the best move you can make rather than trying to force mm-hmm. something that isn't there. And a couple of more really interesting quotes from uh, Jim Rutherford. And again, the piece is up now, a free agency preview for me and McIntyre with these quotes from the Canucks president of hockey operations. So go check it out. This one also from, from Rutherford. We haven't cleared as much cap space as we would have liked to. We'll be active on Wednesday to a certain point, but we're not going to be in on the big guys, the real big guys. We'll look for complimentary players and build more depth and things like that but we're not in the position that we had hoped to be at this point in time. And then the other one, and I know IMAC put this out on Twitter, uh, but it's interesting and it's worth repeating here from Rutherford, along the lines of what you were just saying, Batch, he says, I always feel that when you really want to make a deal bad, there's a good chance you'll make a bad deal. As we're going through this process with the number of prospects we have, different things we have to deal with, the cap to unravel, I think it's important to be patient and try to make as few mistakes as possible. And that's what we're doing. And that approach makes a lot of sense. And, you know, Rutherford himself is saying, yeah, look, we'd like to be in a different position. We would prefer, obviously, to have cleared cap space, to be able to be much more active and much more creative tomorrow. But, again, you're at plan B now. At a certain point, you've got to pivot to plan B. And the most important thing the Canucks can do tomorrow, yeah, build depth. Yeah, you know, get that right-handed center for your fourth line. Add somebody with some speed and forechecking ability in your bottom six. That's all important. But, again, I think the most important thing don't make that mistake. And that's exactly what Jim Rutherford is talking about. 650-650 again to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots coming in. Uh, we'll get to them. But I did want to point out, you know, 
as I said, the, the fourth line and really the bottom six in general is the clear priority, especially with Lamico and Highmore not coming back. Now, I think a lot of people will, will turn and say, well, what about the blue line? The thing with the blue line is not only do you not have a ton of cap space, you've got a lot of bodies there already. And if Tucker Pullman is going to be healthy to start the year, that's basically eight NHL defensemen that you already have under contract. Now, you know, that's that's with the likes of Kyle Burrows, and could he easily go down to Abbotsford? Yeah, of course. It's not as if you're not going to sign someone because you have Kyle Burrows. But even on the right side, again, if Tucker Pullman's healthy and the, the update from Emily Castingay in Montreal ahead of the draft sounded pretty positive, that's Luke Shen, Tyler Myers, and Tucker Pullman on your right side. Right? And Kyle Burroughs as and well. And Kyle Burroughs as depth. And then, you and then your Jeff- left side is Hughes, ekman Larson, uh, Rathbone, and Dermott. So not only do you probably need to move somebody to open up the cap space, but if you're signing someone, you've got, you know, you, you have to move a body out to really make that a reality because you already got it kind of spoken for. Now, would you love to see a talent upgrade there? Yeah. But, again, it's the kind of thing that I don't really see a, a way to add to what you have at the NHL level on the blue line until some other dominoes fall and you open up some space on the roster. Not unless you're willing to expose and potentially lose someone like Kyle Burrows or Luke Shen on waivers, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, you've got eight defensemen, and maybe, you know, you need an insurance policy for Pullman is if Pullman isn't healthy. But, you know... If you're doing that, it's not going to be a notable name. It's going to be a guy that you can either sign to a two-way deal or, you know, like someone in the mold of Brad Hunt, Mm -hmm. who they signed last Mm -hmm. year, right? Like if they're going to sign defensemen tomorrow, that's the kind of defenseman they're going to sign. I don't see them, you know, going after, I don't know who else is on the market, like, you know, Colin Miller. Or Jan Ruda, or, you know, maybe... Yeah, somebody who would expect... Or Ilya Labushkin, right? Somebody who would expect a locked-in NHL role is probably not coming here, right? Because that doesn't exist. And I think the Brad Hunt shout is a good one. You know, Kyle Burrows. We saw that even last offseason with the previous regime on the blue line and at forward, right? Bringing a bunch of guys who maybe they play in Abbotsford. Maybe they're camp- competition in camp for an open roster spot. And you build the organizational depth that way i think you're right that's probably what we should expect certainly at on on the blue line tomorrow at forward there's a little bit more room to work with again uh because of of uh yuho lamico and matthew highmore not being qualified but yeah on on defense as much as we'd all like to see you know a really new look blue line that's going to require a lot of work uh, before that can really be a possibility yeah and you know we're getting lots of texts into the dunbar lumber text line here 650 650 here's one that i want to address it's from adam he says, trade Pearson and Garland for draft picks, which frees up $8 million plus, then sign Malkin, Pod Colson, Malkin, and Kuzmenko, Let's top three go. centers, Pedersen, Horvat, and Malkin. And to this I say, if you think that they could trade Tanner Pearson and Connor Garland for draft picks or, you know, value, they would have done it. By it would have happened. Like, there, there's a reason, and again, this comes back to the conversation we were having, that you don't just make a trade to make a trade. Like, Sure, you could probably trade Tanner Pearson for a third or fourth round pick right now, maybe if there's a team out there. But, but could you batch even? I'm not sure you could. Maybe in in two weeks' time you might be able to. But can you before free agency? Well, now? and this this is the point. So, like at best, you're getting a mid round pick on the trade market for Tanner Pearson right now. That's not good value. Tanner Pearson's more valuable on this Canucks roster than he is for a depth pick just to free up a little bit of cap space. Uh, you know, Connor Garland, to me, even more so is a player that you want to hold on to because of 
you know, his favorable contract and cap situation and not just give him away for nothing just to create cap space. And, you know, I would venture to say that even if they had the cap space, I don't think Evgeny Malkin's coming here. I just don't see it being realistic. So I understand it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, they should do this and this, and then they'll have the cap space and they can do that. But that's not how being a general manager in the National Hockey League works. Maybe it's the way it works on the EA Sports video (laughs) game, but this is not what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are dealing with right now, and it's just not realistic. And... You know, Jim Rutherford himself acknowledged, yeah, we would have loved to have created more cap space. We weren't able to do it. Now, the Malkin thing, first of all, fascinating that the news breaks that he's going to test unrestricted free agency for the first time in his career as a franchise icon and a legend in Pittsburgh. And then right after that, uh, the news that Pittsburgh is giving Ricard Raquel six million, or sorry, five years at six million. No, no, six years at five million, excuse me, adding up to 30 million, but six years, five million AAV. I thought that was fascinating. Now, I have been a proponent of the Canucks chasing of Genny Malkin, right? Because if you could get him on a three-year deal, and, and look, it's not just about the Russian players. I understand the attraction to a, a Pod Colson Malkin Kuzmenko line. Look, that would be fantastic. That would be entertaining. I just think anytime you have a chance to add a player with the resume that Evgeny Malkin has, who's still productive when he's on the ice, when I think he's you healthy, have to explore yeah. when he's healthy. And I, and I acknowledge that that's a major caveat. And then you add in the relationship with Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. I've been a strong proponent of at least exploring that possibility. But that's not a reality now. They, they just that, that was predicated on a lot of other things happening before free agency, and those things just haven't happened. So that's out the window now, Batch. That's that, just one of many possibilities that's, that's not a reality anymore. Malkin would be a JT Miller replacement, but JT Miller's still here, so you can't replace him before you've moved his cap space on, and, and that's just the reality of the situation uh, another good text in here pointing out that they do also have brady keeper mm-hmm. uh in the system right now as a right shot defenseman he's another one of those guys that they initially signed to be a maybe nhl maybe ahl guy of course he had the 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 difficult leg break in training camp and didn't really play a factor all season long so it'll be interesting to see how well recovered he is from that by the time they get to training camp whether he's the kind of player that they could use in a depth role or not. Uh, But, you know, just another example of another body that they potentially have to use, which might mean we don't see them do anything in terms of signing depth defensemen. Uh, This one comes in from Rager, and and I've I've made this point again, so I won't belabor here, but what would be the point of bringing Malkin in, though? We aren't chasing anything this year. It would basically be the Sundin signing again. Now, every time I bring up the Malkin thing, people say, oh, it would be Matt Sundin 2.0. As if that worked out horribly for the Canucks. That, Matt Sundin played really well for the Canucks. He was here one year. Didn't prevent them from doing anything else that they were trying to do. And you talk to a lot of the guys who were young just coming into their prime on that team. And they rave about what they learned from Matt Sundin. So to me, it's like, if, he, if, if you could bring in someone like Evgeny Malkin and he would have that sort of effect on Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Brock Besser. Or maybe more specifically, and Pod, Pod Colson and Kuzmenko. Go through the list. Yeah. That's great. That's exactly why I am promoting it. Look, I don't want to get into the whole debate again. I've had it before with listeners here on the show, but I don't find the, oh, it would be Matt Sundin again. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It would be Matt Sundin again, and that worked out really well for the Canucks And there's another in the long term. unsigned text in here to that effect saying Malkin could be the uh, B to PT, what Sundin was to Kessler and the Twins, even if he's not healthy for enough games to see the ice, the value in his leadership and mentoring 
that he could provide would pay huge dividends that, as well. That's that more than anything is the logic by why I was suggesting it, why I was supporting it. Now again, it's academic at this point because it's not it's not going to happen. They they weren't able to open up the cap space to make it a realistic possibility. But I mean, given what we've heard from management about okay, we need to improve the practice habits. You know, there's maybe a certain amount of immaturity uh, on the team. Look, I know the idea of bringing in a player from the outside to provide leadership has a bad rap in this market, and I understand that. Well, Evgeny Malkin's not J.B. Exactly. Though, right? It's a completely different discussion. When you bring in a, a Conn Smythe winner, a Hart Trophy winner, a Locke, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players of his generation, that's a completely different discussion uh, than you're having when you're bringing in someone like J.B. Beagle to provide leadership. So, again, it's academic. It's not going to happen, uh, but – Look, it's, I, I don't think you can just dismiss the value it would have out of hand. And Jackson Brophy from Campbell River makes that point. He says, Malkin would help Pod Colson reach his full potential. Maybe, yeah. And Bob says, you're dreaming. Matson Dean did not play well. Average at best. Slow and out of shape. Don't know what to tell you. He was a pretty decent player. When Look. he arrived midseason at the start, yes, that's correct. But by the time they were run- going into the playoffs and at the end of the regular season, he was an important part of what they were able to accomplish that year, for sure. Yeah. Anyways, we'll we'll leave that for uh, leave that debate for another time. So we threw it out there, 650, 650. What do you expect to see happen, and what do you want to see happen? And a few interesting names came in, Batch. And uh, this is something you know we were talking about: Yuho Lamico and Matthew Highmore not being qualified by the Canucks. And this has become a kind of a yearly tradition around the NHL now, where every year when the the deadline for offering your restricted free agents a qualifying offer comes around a whole bunch of really interesting guys hit the market and become free agents that you weren't necessarily expecting. And, you know, when I threw out what do you want to see happen, a lot of those names are the ones that came up. Rager Texan, I want to see Dominic Kubelik from the from the Blackhawks. This one, unsigned. The Canucks should sign Sam Steele. I think he's a good reclamation project as he's played less than 200 games. Gordon Campbell River says three of the guys that we're talking about. I would target Hayden Fleury, Sam Steele, and Danton Heinen, there's some really fascinating names that did not get qualified by their teams. Nicholas Obey, Kubel is another one. That one, I think, perfect fit. When you hear the the types of characteristics that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine want to have in the bottom six, speed, tenacity, forechecking ability, yes, Nicholas Obey, Kubel, check on all of those boxes. I think he'd be a really interesting target. There's two things about the, you know, the kind of unexpected UFA market. I mean, one, it gives you the opportunity to, to sign some potentially pretty interesting players. The other thing is I think it really just shows you how incredibly valuable cap space is around the league, right? That teams are not willing to commit relatively modest amounts of money to some of these players because they would rather have the cap space. I think it gives insight into why the Canucks have had such a difficult time moving some of their contracts, even on guys who can still contribute and still help. But having said that, the names that really pop out to me, one of them was mentioned, Danton Heinen, I think would be really interesting. You said Nicholas Abe-Kubel. The other one that really caught my eye that didn't get qualified by Anaheim was Sonny Milano. And Milano might be a case where, okay, maybe you move Miller, maybe you move Connor Garland, and you feel like you need a, lot, a, a little bit of extra help in your top six. But I think any of those guys... Danton Heinen, again, Nicholas Abe-Kubel, Sonny Milano, would all be really, really fascinating options for the Canucks, especially if you can get them on a relatively cheap deal. Yeah, Sonny Milano had 
what, 14 goals in 66 NHL games last year? Like, that's a that's a guy that could have 20-goal upside if, mm-hmm. if he comes in and fits if in. If you need some help in your nice power role. play because you move a couple of players, that seems like a pretty easy fit for me. Absolutely. So, you know, again, these are the kind of names that we're going to see the Canucks looking at. You know, some of these players may even get priced out of what the Canucks are able to afford, depending on, you know, how much of a market shapes up for them. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out in terms of where the Canucks go, in terms of some of their free agent targets tomorrow, and some of the, the bigger dominoes that may fall around the league and how those could impact the Canucks' ability to make trades or free up some cap space. We will talk about some of the interesting moves around the NHL, what they could mean from a Vancouver Canucks perspective as well. Plus, hopefully, uh, Derek Clancy will join us tableside here. We are live at day two of Canucks Prospect Development Camp. It's Canucks Hour with Jamie Dodd, Brendan Batchelor filling in for Thomas Grants. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Things in this house are out of this world. Welcome back to the show, Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Brendan Batchelor live from Canucks Prospect Development Camp at UBC. The forwards still on the ice, still being put through their paces uh, by the Canucks development staff. But when they leave and they, they come out to, uh, to clean the ice ahead of the defenseman coming on, we expect to be joined by Derek Clancy. Should be sometime in this segment, maybe off the top in the next hour, but we will keep you posted. In the meantime, lots to get into with the Canucks, lots to get into around the league. 650-650 is uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. People are roasting me for my uh, Evgeny Malkin take batch, but that's all right. I, I'm used to it. Every time I bring it up, I get roasted. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm quite accustomed to that at this point. And as I said, the debate in all likelihood is purely academic anyways. Now, Before we move to some of the interesting deals and interesting news that came out around the league yesterday, a couple of tweets from insiders uh, hit just when we were in break there. So we'll start with Frank Saravelli and an update on the Johnny Gaudreau situation. Frank says, my sense is the Flames have put an offer on the table for Johnny Gaudreau north of $10 over eight years. That would make him not only the highest paid player in Calgary franchise history, but among the richest in the NHL. If Gaudreau walks, it likely won't be because of money. No so, kidding. Yeah, no kidding. If you're walking away from $80 million, he's not getting $80 million when you can only get a seven-year term from somebody else. I would be very, very surprised if he gets that $80 million. We'd heard 9.5 times 8 a lot. Now, we all know that they lose the ability to offer that eighth year to Johnny Gaudreau, which is really the, the number one advantage they have in these sweepstakes. They lose that ability at midnight tonight. I don't want to say it's a panic move or a desperation move, but you can. There, there, there's obviously some anxiety building for, for the Calgary Flames on Johnny Gaudreau right now. They have been waiting, they have been negotiating, and now they are in the 11th hour, and they are putting their best foot forward and pushing all of their chips into the middle of the table. Uh, so as we continue with the poker metaphor, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if Johnny Gaudreau calls their bluff or not. Um, but... You know, th- this is what it came down to for the Flames, I imagine, that they wanted to wait and see if they could get a more team-friendly deal done. But now the real possibility of losing Johnny Gaudreau is staring them in the face. And to the tune of $80 million, Ooh. they've decided to try and go all in and see if they can get him. That, um, I mean, the clock is ticking, obviously. And the, the, the Gaudreau situation could have an interesting domino effect, right? Because if, if he does end up going back to Calgary, 
We know that there are teams that are interested. You know, we saw Philadelphia start to try to clear cap space today, perhaps in anticipation of making a big offer for Johnny Gaudreau. We've heard the Devils potentially with all of their cap space could be a team that would be in on the bidding. You know, if this incredible offer, the, the you know, the, the stereotypical godfather offer from the Flames does convince Gaudreau to go back to Calgary, it'll be curious to see, I'll be curious to see what kind of domino effect that has. Could some of those other teams perhaps turn their eyes to a JT Miller in that scenario where they miss out on Johnny Goodrow. And on that subject, we've barely talked about JT Miller today, Batch. How did, <laughs> how did we go 35 minutes into the show we barely talked about him? Uh, but Irfan Gaffar from the fourth period, of course, friend of the station here on Sportsnet 650, Canucks Insider, tweeted just minutes ago on JT Miller, market for him isn't as high as the Canucks would like right now, just like it wasn't there leading up to the draft. No rush, no rush to trade him just for the sake of making a move. Canucks management still believe they can work on an extension with him. Now, part of that isn't that surprising, right? The, the fact that the, the market in terms of a trade isn't as high as they would like. Look, if they had an offer they felt really good about, they would have made the deal already. So I can understand that. Canucks management still believe they can work on an extension with him. I understand you want to exhaust every 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 possible avenue you have to try to keep a player like JT Miller around. You want to explore every possibility to see if there's any chance that you can find something that works for both teams. But given all the reporting we've heard about the gap that exists, and looking at some of the other contracts that still ex- that are, that are getting handed out already before we even hit UFA status in the NHL, I'm still just very very skeptical that they're going to be able to find a way to reach some sort of extension that makes sense with JT Miller. If they're looking towards the extension, it means they're going to have to find another way to move out cap money. And then you have to wonder who that might be. They did just sign Brock Besser, so I doubt they'd be interested in trading him. We've heard lots of talk about uh, things heading in the right direction for an extension for Bo Horvat. Um, To me, long-term, those three players cannot coexist on this roster because the Canucks won't be able to afford it. And I don't think they're looking to move off Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes or Thatcher Demko. Nope. Uh, I don't think they'll be able to move off Oliver ekman Larson. Maybe Tyler Myers could give them some cap relief, but at the same time, that's creating a huge hole on the right side of your blue line. Um, so, you know, do I believe that they think they can get an extension done with him? Sure. But I think in the event that that happens, it also doesn't necessarily mean that he's staying here long term unless... He really wants to commit his time to Vancouver and have some sort of no trade or no movement clause. There will there there are good players that are going to have to be moved off this roster in the next few years. We all assumed that JT Miller was the player that made the most sense, and in all likelihood, he probably still is the player that makes the most sense to move on. But if there isn't a trade market for him, you have to look at all options that make sense for your hockey club. And if you can't get the kind of trade that you were expecting or hoping for JT Miller, maybe the best solution will be to bring him back. It remains to be seen. I don't think it is. I still think they'll be able to find the trade for him. But I'm not surprised that this management group is looking at all avenues, exhausting all options, trying to understand what an extension might look like, trying to understand what a trade might look like, and just learning as much as they can about the market around JT Miller so that when it comes time to make that ultimate decision, 
they have as much information as possible about what it might cost to keep him in terms of an extension or what sort of assets they might be able to recoup if they move on from him. Uh, and again, get your thoughts in 650-650. The report from Irfan Gafar of the fourth period and, and regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650 says, on JT Miller, no rush to trade him just for the sake of making a move. Canucks management still believe they can work on an extension with him. Now, the other thing, Batch, is at this time of year in particular, you always have to think, well, is there an element of posturing to this, right? Is there an element of the Canucks trying to put the message out there to other teams, hey, we still think we can sign this guy. We're not desperate to trade him. We actually still would be perfectly happy to reach an extension with him, and, and then does that maybe convince other teams to up their offer a little bit? There's something like that that could be at play here as well. But just on the, the idea of, okay, let's find an extension. And, you know, we heard that, uh, that, that, Johnny, that the Flames have kind of bent a little bit and upped their offer for Johnny Gaudreau. I still think it would be a mistake for the Canucks to go in that direction with JT Miller because you are then, as you said, committing a lot of money and a lot of term, not just on JT Miller, but on Brock Besser as well, on potentially Bo Horvat later this year or, or later this summer on an extension as well. And are you giving yourself the type of flexibility uh, that we that the, this team needs in order to really improve in the future? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts uh, coming in. This one came in from Rager on the news that uh, Frank Saravelli said the Flames have offered Johnny Gaudreau an $80 million contract. He says they should save the $80 million and put that as a down payment on a new arena. We will pause that conversation for now because uh, we are very pleased to be joined by Canucks Assistant General Manager Derek Clancy live here at UBC for Canucks Prospect Development Camp. Derek, thanks very much for joining us. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And you know, we were joking about it yesterday. It feels great to be in a hockey rink in the middle of July watching some some guys going through drills. Just what does this week and this development camp mean for the organization? Well, I think uh, it's been a couple of years since they've actually had this uh, going again. So it's good to see, for the new people especially, some of the players that we don't know uh, that have been drafted in the past. It's great to see our guys that we just drafted on the ice right away uh, just to get a look at them on the ice and how they are and um, it's good for everyone to see. But it's just great to get everyone together, kind of establish what kind of, um, how we're going to be moving forward as an organization, what we expect, what our demands are going to be, and and uh, just get all the kids kind of, you're, you're the players of the future, and embrace it and, and kind of move forward. Yeah, you know, we were joking a little bit earlier, you almost have as many coaches out there as players, but, uh, you know, you've done a great job organizationally of building out your player development department and in a week like this is where you can really see that in action how important has that aspect of the way you guys have come in and built out this organization been and how pleased are you with some of the people you have in place now oh we've hired a great staff i mean uh michael samuelson mike commissarek these guys are going to be fantastic but the guys we already have chris higgins and you know there's in in our game you, you, you draft players that maybe are on the fence and your development staff can kind of get them to the NHL. And, um, you know, it's, so, it's such an important part of the game today. A lot of teams, for me, don't invest enough in that. And, um, you know, when you have young guys that are kind of finding their way, guys that have experience, have done it before, just the whole process of what it takes to get there, it's a hard league to play in. Um, and I think those guys have that experience that they can, they can share with the players. And, you know, when they're up, when they're down, how to get through all those things when they're struggling in the slump. And I think all those aspects of having a, a development staff that's not taxed. Now we have, we have more guys that can kind of share the workload. So everyone's getting attended to. No one's getting ignored because um, every player is important to us. So I think just having a, 
They're great guys that have a lot of experience and success, and I think all that factors into where we want to go. It's always interesting at a development camp like this, too, because, you know, guys who were drafted just Thursday and Friday last week, they're here, and it's a, a right away a chance to get to know them and acclimate them a little bit. And just from your perspective, how did you feel the draft went for, for the, the organization this year? I thought it went really well. I thought that uh, we got the majority of the players that we were hoping to get when you sit there and project where we're going to be. And um, I think we have several players that have a great chance of playing in the NHL. Um, which is always, you know, great that we can get multiple players out of a draft to play. Uh, and I think we have some guys that are going to need some development as they go, which is what we are talking about before, that, that they have a chance to get there with the right instruction and the right care and, I guess, love from the organization as far as moving it forward. So uh, I thought our draft was really good. we got a good young goalie and Ty Young moving forward. And, um, you know, I just think that we, we're starting to put a little more size, a little more mobility, a little more speed. Uh, into our prospect pool, and I think that's going to be better for us in the long run. And, you know, with a camp like this this week, as Jamie alludes to, you have guys who have just been drafted. You've also got a few guys that played a bit in Abbotsford last year that maybe didn't have a chance to go through a development camp like this because of the pandemic over the last couple of years. When you're watching players here, and whether they're guys you just drafted or guys, as you said, that were in the organization already that maybe you weren't incredibly familiar with, what's the assessment process like for a week like this and, and how do you sort of have to compare say a guy that has pro experience that's here as opposed to you know a, a raw player that you just drafted in the past week um i think well i think as you said everyone's kind of different i think for us it's just a chance to see them on the ice you know you get a chance to see what they're maybe lacking moving forward you know there's, there's lots of talented players out there that may, may might need just experience and 15 more pounds or a little more just a little more maturity as they grow and some guys got to work on puck details. Some guys got to work on their their D, uh, D side of the game. And I think you get a chance to get your eyes on the players live, which is they haven't had a chance to do here. And like I said, for us, seeing guys like Linus Carlson, like that, that has been in the organization now, but to all the new people here, Patrick himself, et cetera, we haven't had a chance to see those guys in the past. So for us to get a chance to actually see what they are and where they might go and what work they need to get done to get to the NHL, um, I think it's very important. So I think all those things are vital in our in our group that we treat them with honesty as far as where we think they are and where they think they need to go. And I think all the all all those things lead to successful development moving forward. For players that are maybe just a little bit older, have some pro experience in Europe, how important is that is it for them to really you know show that extra experience when you when they are going up against maybe somebody who's just drafted or somebody who's played mostly high school how important is it for you to see that you know you really notice a difference because they do have that experience in a week like this uh, i don't think it's overly important i mean i think we expect to see a pro player these details and these little the little things of his game the you know little puck puck movement and positioning on the ice those kind of things you you would expect it to be a little, a little bit better than the younger guys that are learning their way i mean you got to realize a lot of these guys coming in that have been drafted are, have probably been stars on their team where they where they've come from so now they're coming into a group where now they're playing with all the stars that have been there in the past so i think it's they're they're learning that it's they've got a it's not about me anymore it's about us and we we and and I think uh, you expect the, the, the pro-experienced guys to kind of lead the way a little bit. But some of our young guys, to me, have really looked good in the first couple of days.
want to ask you one more about the draft. Obviously, you get Jonathan Leckermackey at 15th overall, a player that maybe some people didn't expect to fall that late. How exciting is that to, to get a player of that caliber at that spot? And just watching him here this week, uh, what are your first impressions of having him here in Vancouver and what sort of a timeline you might see his development on going forward? Uh, we were very excited. I mean, we we had a, you know, we I think you have a block of players that you, you put in a little group that you hope one of these guys slide through to where you're drafting, and he was one of them. Um, so we were ecstatic to get him. I mean, his, his hockey sense, his shooting ability, his skating, he moves the puck really well. I mean, he's, he's an elite talent, maybe the purest goal scorer in the draft as far as release and, and those kind of things. But, um, you know, he's still a light. He's still light. He's still 165, 70 pounds. Um, I think he needs a little more experience and maturity to go home and back to Europe this year and play another year and hope he could come over here at some point down the road. But he's, you know, I don't think he's too far away, but I don't want to put any, any pressure on him to, to, to you know, escalate his, his process. But he's an extremely talented player. Uh, I fully expect him to play for Vancouver at some point in the near future. Um, and I think uh, the fans are really happy to see him. Uh, we're in conversation with Canucks Assistant General Manager Derek Clancy here on Sportsnet. 650. Now, the draft, one of the big uh, events on the offseason calendar for the NHL. Obviously, the other one is the opening of free agency tomorrow. Before we look ahead to, to what the club might do in, in free agency, yesterday the decision was made not to offer qualify, uh, make qualifying offers to Yuho Lamico and Matthew Highmore. What can you tell us about when it, what went into that decision? Uh, basically, you're, you're trying to make your team better and you have cap space, you have so much and I mean, there's only certain areas of the team where you can try. I and mean, we like Matthew and and and, and uh, Lamico, a lot of players. But you know, you're you only have certain areas of your team where you can try and make an improvement here and there. And and I think that at this point, um, we just felt that it was probably better that we just kind of see what's there uh, tomorrow, and maybe it's an opportunity to get a, a different identity. I mean, they both played great for Vancouver, um, but unfortunately, in this business, you're you only do so many things with what you have, and you got to kind of sit there and make a decision, and it's hard. I mean, Patrick's been, as a group, we talk about it, and Patrick's made hard decisions, but, I mean, we love both players. It's just a matter of you can only do a certain amount of things, and unfortunately, that's kind of where we went. And, you know, as you approach free agency here, you were able to create a bit of cap space back at the trade deadline with the Hamannick trade and uh, Travis Dermott as well coming in uh, about a, a million and a half in terms of cap space. But, uh, you know, how would you characterize the, the strategy or the approach heading into tomorrow? Is it looking for value deals and guys that can play complementary roles because of the, the cap space or lack thereof right now? Yeah, I think we're just trying to fill some holes that we think would make us better and just make us a little different from last year and, I think we're going to just kind of see what, what falls our way tomorrow at, at, uh, at noon. And, and um, you know, it's one of those things where you just don't know who's going to be available, who's not going to be available. There's going to be teams that want to move players because they want to create space for someone else on their team. And, um, you know, we like our group the way we have it. We're just trying to make it a little bit better um, and just kind of see what, what, what happens to fall our way. In maybe trying to fill some of those holes in the bottom six, is there a particular sort of player archetype or or type of player that you feel you want or maybe need more of down your lineup that, that you'd look to target? Um, I think we'd like to get a little harder, a little bigger, uh, a little more of identity in our fourth line potentially. Um, doesn't mean that we'll find it, but I think ideally that's kind of where we'd like to go. And uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, in today's NHL, you know, you need – 
four lines that can score to some extent, and, and if you don't, you really put pressure on your top six. If your bottom six can't score, so I think if we can we can add some scoring throughout our lineup on a more consistent basis and you know mix in some size and some hardness with that. Um, you know, maybe a guy's 5'11", but he's a hard player. Maybe that fits our mold, what we're looking for. Um, but I just think we're looking for just a different identity. And, I mean, I think everyone wants size and a little more hardness in their group as long as they can contribute to the team in a positive way. Uh, so, Derek, I'm sure you've heard that the, the topic of JT Miller has come up once or twice on our station uh, in recent <laughs> weeks, in recent months. And, you know, we've heard reports that uh, there's trade interest in JT around the league. We've heard reports that the team is working on it, trying to work on an extension with him as well. What can you tell us about where things stand uh, from the Canucks' perspective with JT Miller? Well, obviously we love JT. I mean, obviously his play speaks for itself. Um, and I think discussions are ongoing, and I think we're just you take it day by day, and you try and work your way there, and, and you got to, I guess, evaluate where we are with our cap space and whatnot. And um, looking forward, you have other contracts down the road that you have to think about um, with other guys. So I just think it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, in today's cap world, guys get – Guys move around because you just can't afford to keep them sometimes, and and other times it happens to work out uh, contract-wise. But it's hard. I mean, we love JT. He's been a great player for us this year, and I'm sure he'll be the same this year. Um, I think we like to work it out, so we'll have to see where it goes. And, and just just before we let you go, Derek, when you're talking about a player of JT Miller's caliber, whether it is an extension or whether it is a trade, how important is it just to make sure you're taking your time and you're using patience and you don't do something – you know, just for the sake of saying, okay, we solved that situation. Well, I don't think we feel we're in a we're in a in a in a hurry to do anything. I think patience is probably the best thing we could have right now. Um, we know JT has value um, for us and on the market. I would assume, you know. So I, I just think that we're going to do what's best for Vancouver. Um, we hope JT's a part of that moving forward. Um, but again, you got to factor all the little things that go into that process and kind of go through through that as far as you put your team together. But, I mean, it's, it's I think for us to make a move, to make a move is, doesn't make much sense. I think we've all been through this long enough in the past, or enough in the past that you just got to do what's best for the Vancouver Canucks to move forward as a, as a good team. And whoever's a part of that is and whoever isn't <laughs> won't be. Derek, we really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks thanks for stopping by and chatting with us. Enjoy the rest of development camp Great, this thanks, week. Thanks, thanks for Derek. having me. That is Canucks Assistant General Manager Derek Clancy joining us here on Canucks Hour uh, Tableside at uh, Canucks Prospect Development Camp here at UBC. And some interesting thoughts towards the end uh, throughout that conversation, but in particular, you know, I think obviously interest in the JT Miller conversation is extremely, extremely high right now in Canucks fans, especially with, you know, the reporting we just heard from Irfan Gafar, and I thought it was uh, very interesting what Derek Clancy had to say there at the end. Look, of course they like JT Miller, but they also recognize that he's going to have value around the league. And just, again, similar to what Jim Rutherford had to say to Ian McIntyre for his latest piece, stressing the importance of patience, stressing the importance of getting this move right rather than making a move just so you can say that you did it. Not making a trade just to make a trade no. was the, the phrase that really stood out there. Uh, for me, I also thought it was really interesting uh, what he talked about in terms of the identity of their bottom six. And, you know, this is something we've heard coming out of this organization uh, basically ever since they made the management change. You can remember Stan Smeal uh, sat up at the podium mm -hmm. the day they let Jim Benning go and said, we need to be harder to play against. And you hear Derek talk there about finding guys that will be hard to play against 
maybe a little bit bigger in their bottom six, but also guys that can contribute offensively. And I thought it was really interesting that he pointed out, you know, we've talked so much about Canucks need to have three lines that can provide offense. He says that you want four, right? Like you don't want a fourth line that provides no offense. You want some guys that can chip in with the odd goal, which really isn't something the Canucks have had on their fourth line in quite a while. So in light of all that, I'm going to be very interested to see what kind of players they target tomorrow in free agency. As he also said, just because that's the kind of player they want or the kind of identity they want their fourth line to have doesn't mean that it's going to play out that way. But, you know, I thought that was a fascinating answer as well. Well, and it's interesting, too, because you look at Matthew Highmore and you think in a lot of ways he could – I think there was the thought during the season that he fits into that identity with his speed, with his ability on the forecheck, you know, can chip in on the penalty kill, you know, has decent hands. Obviously, in his uh, collegiate career, you saw that in particular. But I also got the kind of sense from Clancy in that conversation that part of that decision not to offer them qualifying uh, offers just comes down to raising the bar in the bottom six, right? Yeah, we like them. They're good players, but can we do better? And do we want to lock ourselves into those players when there might be options on the bottom six that, as you said, maybe can contribute a little bit more, maybe fit the identity even better than those players do? And I think that that's an interesting approach, right? Hey, we're not we're not going to be so worried about losing these players that we – you know, shut ourselves out of other potential like, options. Uh, let's be honest about you, Holamico and Matthew Highmore. You know, they, they both had good seasons. They played really well in an extended stretch on that line with Tyler Mott before he was dealt at the deadline. But none of that changes the fact that they are replacement-level players, right? And with replacement-level players, you can replace them. That's why you call them replacement-level mm-hmm. players. So, you know, I think the other factor, too, is it does give them a little bit more flexibility if they're not locked into either of those guys going into free agency. Now, it's not a ton of flexibility because neither of those guys would have commanded big contracts. But, uh, you know, in a situation where you're a team with not much cap space, any flexibility that you can have is probably valuable. So I'm sure that was a factor in it as well. No doubt about it. It'll be interesting to see which players the Canucks target and which they are able to land when free agency opens less than 24 hours from now. And of course, you'll be able to hear live coverage all day right here on Sportsnet 650. More to come from Canucks Prospect Development Camp. The forwards are off the ice. The defensemen are going to get on the ice very, very shortly here. We'll have all the latest updates for you from UBC. More Canucks talk, but look ahead to free agency as well. Coming up on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.